My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We here at Euripides Humanities, we use Podbean. So download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own episode in minutes. Podbean provides you everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. It even allows you to splice files together if you need to. It's really great. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Then head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21, that's PODCAST21, for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out! And now, on to today's episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. Hello, my friends and listeners. This is Aaron Odom, your host, bringing you another episode of Euripides Humanities. Thanks so much for sticking around. For those of you that have, all my new listeners, my numbers went up like crazy over the last couple of weeks, and I'm so glad to have you in the fold here. And if you're new to this whole thing, please go back and check out our catalog. Our catalog is really awesome. We've gotten a lot of a lot of good stuff talked about, a lot of really interesting things covered, and uh, a lot of innocence shattered, I would say. <laughs> this is a trail uh, of hopes and dreams. <laughs> and uh, that delightful laugh is my guest for today. <laughs> Currently the drama instructor at Kelly Walsh High School in Casper, Wyoming. This is my good old college buddy, Dustin Hebert. Hello, Dustin. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. I'm so glad that I was able to get you on here because before the show, I mean, this is all show. Uh, you folks listening right now, you, uh, you've been listening for a minute and a half. Dustin and I have been talking for about the last half hour uh, about, you know, just whatever, put a quarter in the pool and see where the ripples go. And, and yeah. we just go, we just go. But Dustin, I love having you on the show because you uh, you teach at the high school level. You have a lot of students who are really getting freshly immersed in the drama world because you have it as part yeah. of the curriculum. That's correct. So you've got students who come in and they're like, well, you know, I mean, plays are just like we go into a theater and we laugh and we have fun. And, you know, that's that's great. Right. Not really any of them are like they're used to the idea of this can be challenging, not just for the audience, but for the actors as well. So I, I love that you have that in your 
tote bag, as it were. And for my listeners, if you haven't listened to episode 14 on Can Seymour Be Hot, please go back and listen to it. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Okay. So Dustin used that as impetus for a class discussion today. And how did that go? I had the students, I sent the students to listen to the podcast. For an hour and a half, we discussed the idea of, uh, they brought up character arc. They brought up actors' choices as far as physicality. And I would like to reiterate, they brought this up. I facilitate the discussion. They bring up the idea. This whole idea was derived around, first off, Jeremy Jordan. Who mm-hmm. some of my some of my students have a big fangirl crush on. I I as well absolutely. Um, Jimmy <laughs> Jordan's fantastic. We talked about what first off what makes somebody attractive. How mm-hmm. do we describe the word handsome? Or mm-hmm. uh, should actors be handsome if their role does not derive itself as such, or if it acts against the author's intent? From there we move to author's intent. The kids brought up the idea of well, can you have an unattractive person play someone who's supposed to be attractive? I brought up the idea of a morbidly obese Jekyll and Hyde. And could Henry Jekyll be fat? And I said the person that, and they said, well, no. And I said, are you sure? Are you sure? The, you know, based on original casting for Jekyll and Hyde, who's the Jekyll and Hyde that we all know? Hasselhoff. Yep. And if I directed Hasselhoff, I'd be like, you need to take your shirt off as much as possible. Yep. Um, Yep. And and right? frizz, frizz that hair out. <laughs> we even drove. We the great part is is even in the YouTube clip. Most recently, there was a clip on the Tonight Show of a transgendered Audrey and ah. a cisgendered Seymour. And Love so it. we brought up this idea of transgendered individuals. And keep in mind, these children, quote unquote, children are 15, 16, 17. Yep. And they are having these very careful, very cautious conversations in class. I'm facilitating. They were chomping at the bit to get going at this conversation. Your Wonderful. podcast inspired them to have a fantastic Aww. time. I love it. I love it. We, and, but anytime, anytime an actor, yep. you and I both have played roles that yep. we walk off stage and we're uncomfortable doing the role. Uh-huh. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I did Legally Blonde <laughs> where I was, where I was uh, Callahan and I had to assault someone sexually on stage. And, and I would walk off stage and I go, Okay, did I do that safe? I did that safe. Everybody's mm-hmm. safe. We're good. It was a good take. We're done. All right, let's move yeah. on. And speaking of that, I am really loving these new, uh, this new emerging study, or it's been going on for the last few years, of stage intimacy training. Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually, that's... I freaking love it. I freaking love it. If my listeners don't know anything about it, just look it up. Intimacy training for actors I don't think a lot of people think about what goes into a kissing scene. No. You know, I mean, like legitimately for some actors, they're like, sure, put your lips on my face. And then for some other actors, they're like, okay, I had a man force me to kiss him every day of my life for 20 years. And I'm not telling you that as a person, as an actor right now, because that is none of your business. So, I mean, 10 years ago when I worked professionally, Mm -hmm. it was you want to do this? Let's do it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we would go and get a drink and practice our lines on stage, loosen up a little bit and just go for it once. Right. Done. Go for it again. Once done. And then, and then we would start to get into it a little bit more and it would, it would evolve from that, but there was never any, I love this idea of, can I put my hands here? Is this safe? Are you comfortable here? Are you Mm -hmm. comfortable here? Mm -hmm. And I personally think 
Because there's going to be a lot of teachers out there that are like, well, professional development training isn't for me because I, you know, we, uh, right. Specifically theater teachers, because we don't yeah. get evaluated in the same way. We don't get, we, we don't have uh, standardized tests. We don't do those yeah. things, but yeah. intimacy training for theater teachers should absolutely be something that the district encourages. Right. Because frankly, I, I mean, this is, getting somebody comfortable on stage, this is teaching them how to do their job. And Correct. really, frankly, you should not say to somebody that unless you have chosen to be a sex worker, which is a very noble choice in a lot of respects. Of course. But unless you have chosen that way, your body is yours. Right. And so like, like you were saying, you know, the idea of, is it okay for me to t uh, put my hands here? And the other person say, no, I, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. Not and then, yet. and that starts a conversation. Okay. So we, you know, the script says we have to be somewhat intimate here. So if I can't put my hands here, what is comfortable for you? And starting right. that conversation or being able to, I mean, frankly, like have a safe word, you know, I mean, like mm -hmm. if I cross the line and somebody says, you know, uh, mutton chops, uh, I go, Oh, okay. All right. Right, let's stop. Let's take a break. What what happened there? What was not good? Like, oh, you rubbed my my cheek with your hand just real briefly. I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice I did that. Okay, I'll be conscious of that. You know, it it starts the conversation. Yeah. It's great. It does. A lot of times, actually, and many people, uh, I started doing this in my class without actually having this level of training. Um, <laughs> Because I don't know if people know this, but when you're acting, you're never just acting. You're also doing other things be to pay oh for food. And uh, <laughs> so I worked and rent. And so I worked construction. But oh. I didn't wear hear I didn't wear hearing protection. So oh, I have I have hearing loss. Uh, at the age of 40, I have hearing loss. And so I have to get into students' space in a large room where there's many students talking in order to hear them correctly without any uh, ambient noise. I have to get near them. And so right. I did that oh, for the first yeah. two years. You already see what's going to happen with this. Yep, I did yep, that for yep, two yep. years and the kids got startled and backed away. And I was like, oh, I need to tell them, hey, I'm going to move my head closer to you so I can hear you. And so I asked, can I get closer to you so I can hear you? I started to ask permission or oh. ask for consent to yeah. be into what actors would typically call the kiss or kill range. Yeah. And that's right. Remember, we, we, that's, that was a basic training. If you get right. into this space, you are either going to kiss or either going to kill them. It's, it's one of those things that happened naturally for me, but I think it's something that we need to start teaching too. It, Absolutely. it helps both with acting skills and with personal life too. Yeah. It keeps everybody um, safe. The original topic I was going to have for you tonight kind of dives into that, but we're, we're going to do that episode another day. Wait, we're not talking about, what are we? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about? So it's really funny. We got to this point because it really, really lends itself to where we're going. I have uh, no idea what's going to happen next. I'm excited. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So <laughs> I, I usually start these with a question, but the beginning of this, I, th I, I don't think it demands a question. We've already kind of been discussing <laughs> levels of comfort and discomfort. I am discomforted by how much you're laughing right now. Oh, I'm okay. Nervous. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go then. I'm gonna start it up. Under the reign of King Henry VIII, a new law was passed that specifically meant to outline appropriate sexual behaviors between genders. This was known as the Buggery Act of 1533. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> and it specifically lined out what defined an act of sodomy. <laughs> Up until then, any act of sodomy was violating church law, but not violating civil law. 
Well, now it was. And there were many sexual acts that fell under the umbrella of being unlawful. Pretty much the only type of sexual activity that was legal was that between a man and a woman, but nothing that would penetrate the anus, male or female, and sex was strictly for procreation, not recreation. Cool. <laughs> Fun times. Like awesome. That's always just been so funny to me. Like when people get really upset about same gender relationships or or bisexual relationships or anything. It's like, you know what? Are are you in the bedroom? Are you yeah. watching what's going on? Yeah. No. Here's what's happening. You're imagining it right now. You're the dirty you're one. The, you're the dirty person. <laughs> you're the dirty bird. <laughs> You're the one with the problem. <laughs> oh, God, there goes that guy and his boyfriend, and I just... I ever bet t- they do things that I wish I could. I mean, what am I, I mean, talking about? Mm, I mean, I would never think that, boy. I bet yeah. that feels interesting. Mm. So again, as I said, no sex for recreation. Oh, and the punishment for the conviction of a violation against the Buggery Act was death. Okay, what wasn't death? In the <laughs> time. No, asking for a friend here. What wasn't death? Like you walk across the street, you look at you look at the king wrong. Death. Death. Done. Death. It's like, and then, hey, listen, everybody dies, no man really lives. Famous Aww. quote right there. That didn't come about until 95. Thanks, Mel Gibson. Now, this was the law of the land in all of what would become the British Empire. So no buggery anywhere. Ugh. Quote, it was not until 1861, with the passing of the Offenses Against the Person Act, that the death penalty was abolished for acts of sodomy, instead being made punishable by a minimum of 10 years imprisonment. Huh. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm glad they relaxed a little bit. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like they backed down. You're nailed to a wall. They could have killed me, though. (laughs) Continuing. The Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885, however, went a step further once again, making any homosexual act illegal, whether or not a witness was present, meaning that acts even committed in private could be prosecuted. I have a question. <laughs> uh-huh. I, <laughs> I have a question. I, I didn't question. write the law, so I'm, I'm just the messenger here. I would like a qualification. <laughs> Is it just buggery? Like, was mouth out of the door? Was that okay? Oh, oh, I'm sure that wasn't even a thought because genitals go with genitals. They, you you don't go to mouth yet. Even though I'm sure that happened. I'm sure that happened. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm sure all of this happened. Don't worry, this will be an explicit uh, rated episode. Often, a letter expressing terms of affection between two men was all that was required to to bring a prosecution. The legislation was so ambiguously worded that it became known as the Blackmailer's Charter. No shit. That's cool. Okay, so setting the stage here. Here we go. Oh, no. The early years of the 1890s would see playwright Oscar Wilde write the works for which he is best known. In 1893 alone, he wrote An Ideal Husband, Lady Windermere's Fan, which many critics considered to be his first play, as it was actually staged first, before all the rest of them, and A Woman of No Importance. In that time, he also wrote the only novel for which he is known, The Portrait of Dorian Gray, which tells the tale of a man who has the process of his aging endowed to a portrait of himself. 
The image of him in the portrait ages year after year while the man stays young and lives a sinful life. And of course, Wilde received quite a bit of negative criticism for the novel, mainly due to the lascivious lifestyle that was lived by the protagonist. Who knew that would have happened? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I want to be Oscar Wilde and be sitting here like, and there's no way I'm going to get caught. <laughs> this will be fine. This will be fine. This will be fine. They'll never figure yeah, it out. Gotta, they got a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Move on. <laughs> However, all of these works pale in comparison to the critical reception and lasting power of his famed comedy, The Importance of Being Earnest. Earnest. One of my absolute favorite Oh, places. absolutely. Yep. Now, Sorry, for those I wish of, you could do the show. Oh, absolutely. For those of you unfamiliar, this play details the exploits of two young, wealthy London men, friends who have no idea that they each lead double lives for recreation's sake, each with different identities, and each with a young woman who could be a potential target for seduction. The lives of these characters get intertwined and all hell breaks loose, but in the end, two pairs of young lovers are set to marry. Happiness. Wonderful. We're gonna gloss over the rest of that. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wilde loved satirizing the foibles of the upper class, the many formalities in daily life, not to mention the ornate and flowery language of the educated. Those were particular focuses for, the, for Wilde's derision. For example, in earnest, there's a scene, the Cecily and Gwendolyn scene. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. In which these two women who have just met each other begin the scene by declaring that they will basically be sisters in spirit as they can immediately tell that it has such a profound connection between one another. By the end of the scene, they have more or less declared virtual social war against each other because of the actions within the scene. You see, somewhere in the dialogue, and because of the complications of the two young men, both women believe that they are in romantic pursuits of the same man when they are not. That notwithstanding, yes. because of the rules of etiquette, the women must be civil to one another, despite And they couldn't feelings. accuse each other. They couldn't be like, right. they couldn't like be upfront or communicate in a <laughs> formal or effective fashion because now, you know propriety. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, you couldn't have Gwendolyn like throw her little clutch down on the ground and go, "Bitch, no. <laughs> I'll kill you." <laughs> Thus, Cecily, the host, must offer tea and cake or bread, and therefore the other must take it. When asked, the guest, Gwendolyn, suggests that she does not want sugar in her tea, giving elaborate and dignified reasoning behind her answer. The host deliberately drops several spoonfuls of sugar into the tea. Bitch! Boom! <laughs> when asked if she would prefer cake or bread and butter, Gwendolyn drones on about how bread and butter would be preferred, and Cecily deliberately drops a big fat slice of cake on her plate. Gwendolyn is absolutely affronted by this, and thus, the feud is on! It was so easy to piss people off back then. <laughs> Everybody was really a snowflake back in that time period, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you have deliberately, I significantly asked, uh, specifically asked for bread and butter, and you have deliberately given me cake. How dare <laughs> I shall cancel you on the local Twitter! <laughs> I will sell a, send a courier pigeon to the postmaster. Fourth way. Uh, a having, month later. What the fuck was that? <laughs> having been educated at Oxford, Wilde was quite immersed in the mannerisms of the wealthy and well-to-do and found particular humor in the extravagance he seemed to have pathological need to portray. But Wilde was not exactly immune to this extravagance himself. Right. <laughs> man, fact, man knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. 
In fact, he loved living as a socialite and artist, being able to dress in the best clothes. What do you think he's got his source material? This is all in his source material. Absolutely, absolutely. He's writing his own life. He's sitting in the stalls in the men's room, just going, ooh, yes, that's how No, occupied, continue, please speak loudly. Do you, think, do you think he ever hit like too close to home with one of his characters? You know, like every one of every one of his characters is like that son of a bitch wrote me into a play. But see, could could that have ever happened? Like I would have loved to have been like, I absolutely was Algernon. No. The conversation would have never happened, but because people were way too polite back then. But like when you read it, you just set it down, you put it to the side and you just start picking up copies from everybody's table and hiding it. <laughs> hiding it. <laughs> Isn't this a wonderful story? I'm, I'm, yeah. going, to, I'm going to make I, sure they're all signed. That's what I'm doing. I have to go. <laughs> now, as I was saying, Wilde was not exactly immune to this extravagance. He loved being able to dress in the best clothes, live in an amazing house and take frequent vacations with friends. Who? One such friend he gained was Lord Alfred Douglas, a young poet poet and admirer of Wilde's works. Alfred was also known as Bosey. Ah, God, okay. Do you know where I'm going here? Oh, yeah, no, but I'm nervous. Alfred was also known as Bosey, something of a derisive term from his youth, as his mother would often call him, my Boisey. Okay. It didn't take too long for Wilde and Bosey to become inseparable in the public eye. And no one really suspected anything untoward about the relationship, as it was something of a mentor taking a new apprentice under his wing. So there was an age difference. Oh, yeah, about 16 years. Between Wilde and and Wilde was obviously the older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wilde was about 37 at the time. I I think I said that later. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. He would have gotten canceled. Yeah. 37 yeah. to 16 years, that's... Boom. Mm-mm. Yep, yeah. he's done. But of course, behind closed doors, the men became lovers. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> In fact, Wilde fawned over the boy quite relentlessly and would often write love letters to him whenever they were apart. Here's an excerpt from one of the letters. God, do I do an Oscar Wilde voice here? Should yeah, yeah, no, no, please do. Because right. first just, up, do we know what he sounded like? Or are you just no, 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 no. I'm just going to do what, no, 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 no. He's got to be, he's got to be something of a refined dandy, don't you think? He's, but he's not uh, so much of a dandy. There's some nobility and masculinity to it. Yes? On a side note, Hugh Hugh Grant played. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a television show where Hugh Grant played a poof. And he was an older, like, like educated parliamentary poof. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the Oscar Wilde structure in my okay. head All right. when I think of it. Perfect. So well, I'll, I'll let's do Hugh Grant. Okay. Give me Hugh Grant. Slightly awkward. Here we go. Here we go. Slightly awkward. Here's an excerpt from one of his letters. Your sonnet is quite lovely. And it is a marvel that those red rose leaf lips of yours should be made no less for the madness of music and song than for the madness of kissing. Your slim gilt soul walks between passion and poetry. I know Hyacinthus, whom Apollo loved so madly, was you in Greek days. (laughs) 
I, 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 I don't know if I said I meant to be lovely, but, I, but uh, alas, my, my words were... I mean, and now today it's like, uh, you're hot. <laughs> <laughs> like to watch your ass move in your jeans. <laughs> All right. But oh, there was. The days of poetry are gone. Uh-huh. Now, check this one out. I mean, these are actually quite lovely and, and really honestly show Wilde's penchant for being able to turn the English language in his favor. So there was more than just a physical love that the two men shared. The romance was quite emotionally stirring as well. Here's another excerpt from another letter. And here we go. Wow. Yes! It it is really absurd. I can't live without you. You are so dear, so wonderful. I think of you all day long and miss your grace, your boyish beauty, the bright swordplay of your wit, the delicate fancy of your genius, so surprising always in its sudden swallow flights towards north and south, towards sun and moon, and above all, yourself. That's beautiful. Right? So let me be clear. We don't do shit like that anymore, and I wish no. we did. But no. that's because we don't have that level of, of, of narrative writing. And that's... Well, I mean, we do, but it's, but it's not... We don't, we don't emphasize as many metaphors, right? The mm. swordplay of your wit? Jeez right. Louise. Yeah. The, the, That's the, just... Sw- the swallow flight north and, and south? And it's because our society has become so vehemently cynical about <laughs> any of that stuff. If well, I walked upstairs and I went, my wife, <laughs> I love you with all my heart. The way your eyes glisten and sparkle amongst the evening sunset stirs my heart to movement. She would wonder if I was high or <laughs> What did you drunk. break? <laughs> or, or, <laughs> how much money do you need? That's really, there's always this underlying idea of when somebody puts that much effort into communication, they mm-hmm. think that there's an ulterior motive. But really, right. uh, his ulterior motive was just love. Yeah. We just don't do that anymore and it's not yeah. fair. Well, I mean- pouty. As romantic as all of this sounds, there were quite a few complications to this relationship, mainly in the fact that any physical sexual activity between the two of them would be considered illegal. Right. Beyond that, it would be absolutely disastrous for Wilde's career if anything like this would, be, would have been made public. And if it were made public, beyond the social stigma and civic violations that went along with homosexuality in the UK at the time, like I said, Wilde was 37 when the two began their right. relationship, and Bosey was only 21. Right. So the relationship could be construed as perverse and predatory, even though at 21, Bosey would have been considered an adult. Right. Which is very funny because during that time period, we we're well aware of the idea of older gentlemen marrying younger women. Right. Not and that's a fine. single problem with that. That's fine. Yeah. He's 66 and she's 14. Ah. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Good oh, for him. Well, well, he's wealthy, has a dowry. I mean, sorry, she doesn't have a dowry. He has all the money. We just saw that in Bridgerton. Good God, that made my <laughs> entire show made me vomit. <laughs> well, thanks. Spoiled it for me. I haven't seen it. Um, oh, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mm, uh, no, you'll, <laughs> we're going to cut this out. <laughs> now, beyond reputation and legal freedom, Wilde had even more at stake to lose if the affair was discovered. Because Wilde had a life before he met Bosey. 
In fact, he was a married man with two children. He had to be. Mm -hmm. He had to be. Mm -hmm. It would be too suspicious if he wasn't. Well, I, I don't think I actually put it in here, but I think there was just a rediscovery of himself later in life. I think, I think he legitimately fell in love with this woman. I think oh, there was there was some vanity to it because she was an admirer of his work. I'm going to get into that here in a minute, yeah, but yeah. but I think there was something, and I'll I'll explain why it might have gone away here in a little while. But if you want to cut this next part out, <laughs> interestingly enough, I'm not, and I'm not kidding. This I have a, a close associate of mine whose wife just left him because she discovered that she was gay. Yeah. That, yeah. that is still happening. That's a it thing. is still happening. The difference yeah. is, is that people feel the right and feel the need to begin to live the life that they want to live. Yes. Instead of during this time period, late 19th century, it's impossible to do that. Now, did your friend, was your friend totally identifying as, as heterosexual before? Uh, my friend was, and his oh, wife and was. his wife, yeah. His wife and then she his just wife changed it she, up. She figured it out. Or something changed. Yeah. 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 Okay. You just click. Now, Wilde married the enterprising Constance Lloyd in 1884. Constance had inherited a fair amount of money from her grandfather. And because of this, she was actually, she actually had the choice of not having to get married to live in that society because she could function on her own with her own money. Right. Yeah. Okay. And because of that, she therefore set her sights on how she could be integrated into art and higher society. And her intentions were entirely altruistic. She just wanted to envelop herself in the art. Now, inspired by the aesthetic movement, which, as you and I both know, is mainly art for art's sake, you know, let's do something for the beauty of the art, rather than let's talk about the deep-seated moral or political things we could bring up with this, although right. those could happen, and... Uh, inspired by the fact that she really didn't have to marry to make it in society, Constance soon surrounded herself with artists. She went to all the clubs that all the artists went to, uh -huh. attended mm -hmm. all of the functions that they did, poetry readings, you know, sit in and watch a, uh, watch a painting or something like that. But she soon became enamored with the wordsmithing and personage of one Mr. Oscar Wilde. Well, who the hell wouldn't? <laughs> no, nobody has ever used my conversational style as <laughs> Which of sword play? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they haven't. Let's be honest. It's more like my conversational style is like a bat trying to break yeah. through a concrete wall. But Well, I could just but... see them at a club together and she's like, oh, write something for me. He's like, oh, shit. you serious? Okay. I'm going to write and something she... for you right now, baby. <laughs> and she just, <laughs> <laughs> then that's it. She became Twitter patent. Mm -hmm. Twitter patent. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I can completely agree with her. See? Yeah. Now, the two met in 1881, soon after became a couple, and then married in 1884. And while they both enjoyed the companionship and partnership and a number of ventures, their personal ambitions also seemed to drive a wedge between them. Huh. Okay. Quote, by dividing his devotion to marriage and his romantic pleasures, Oscar and Constance experienced a partnership that expanded the definition of what it meant to be independent and what it meant to be alone. Constance became a champion of dress reform, so uh, what women could wear, 
and a figurehead of Oscar's new women's magazine in which he advocated that, quote, we should take a wider range as well as a high standpoint and deal not merely with what women wear, but with what they think and what they feel. No so, shit. Yeah. Like that's, that's my reaction. And at that time period, that's unheard yeah. of. That's right. absolutely unheard of. Yeah. I would expect something like that in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, maybe early 40s, right before the war, where we start to adapt women's clothing to suit more of the job perspective that they're looking for in order to support America in its, you know. Yeah. Right. But, right. But in this time period, that's unheard of. You but do. honestly, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would like to ride a bicycle. No, you no. have to wear a dress. Hard <laughs> pass. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, what if I wore a dress that was slit down the middle? Oh, for shit's sake, woman. How dare you? Those are pantaloons. <laughs> now, first, many... First pants, then the boat. Oh! Now, many would later accuse Constance of championing whatever was fashionable. This really blew up in her face when she began following a spiritualist fad known as the Order of the Golden Dawn, which was something of a cult dedicated to metaphysics and the occult. Sure. I mean, who doesn't every once in a while slip into the <laughs> metaphysics and the occult? I mean, champing <laughs> women's rights and wanting to wear pants. <laughs> I got I think, you. I got you. I think of that with the Beatles. Like they had the mop haircuts and, and the stupid ties yeah. and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And their next phase was Sergeant Pepper. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> their, next, their, next, their next phase was. <laughs> oh no, that's not my marijuana. Is it yours, Paul? No. And then that like really strong, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Sergeant Pepper structure. <laughs> and then you get into the Indian stuff with the like oh. heavy sitar in most of their work. Yeah. And I get it. There's no, you know, you got to get up to get down. But yeah. oof, I think this is fantastic because I really enjoyed this idea that. The problem with this is that people can use that one thing, that golden calf, that occult structure to cancel everything out that came before it. Yep. It's yep. really, it's. It's it's today's version of going back in the you. Twitter feed I, and going, you said that. look at what they wrote in 2009. You said that. I completely agree. It's It's like, oh my goodness, what did they do 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm never going to do politics. Yep. This is why I'll never be a politician, because someone's going to go back to 2011 mm -hmm. when none of this problem existed, when we had a whole <laughs> completely other host of different social expectations mm -hmm. and hold those to now standards and now accountabilities. It's just yeah. not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Although I just watched a, a video on uh, the Miss World pageant that Bob Hope used to host. Oh my God. And it, it, he was so disgusting. And and Andrew yeah. and I were sitting there watching it and we're like, zero of that is okay today. No, no, none yeah. of it is copacetic. Completely yeah. misogynistic. Yeah. And I mean, oh. you get that, you mm -hmm. get that with any, any movie, any, any yep. sort of. Right. Luckily, right. luckily there's no way there's a musical written about that that people really enjoy that has mm -hmm. to do with teenagers in high school and car racing. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Aaron, tell me more. Tell me more. What do you mean, hot stuff? I mean... <laughs> okay. Oh, question though. Did she put up a fight? No! 
So, yeah, Constance got kind of canceled because of uh, dabbling with metaphysics and the occult. Everybody forgot about that dress reform thing Ugh. and, you know, trying to, you know, help She's women. a witch! Get a She's... burner! <laughs> Let's dunk her in the water and see if she floats. And if she floats, that... Yeah. Anyway, Constance gets canceled for the occult. But it soon became apparent that their life outside the home was not the only factor that compelled Wilde to seek physical and emotional fulfillment elsewhere. Yeah. Once they were married, the Wilds had two children within the first three years of marriage. Hard pass. <laughs> Hard pass. But okay, I mean, that was, get it. That, that was the that expectation, would... you know? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course that's going to trickle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. Here's, here's, here's kind of the sad part about this. The second labor was actually quite difficult for Constance. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And her sexual drives were like never the Just same. Destroyed, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. As for Wilde, he seemed to be drifting away anyway. Here's an excerpt from a letter that Wilde wrote to a friend. There are romantic memories, and there is the desire for romance. That is all. Our most fiery moments of ecstasy are mere shadows of what somewhere else we have felt or what we long someday to feel. Oh, this is heartbreaking. Sometimes I think the artistic life is a long and lovely suicide and I'm sorry that it is so. Man, oof, just. You're telling me this guy is an aesthetic? <laughs> just oh. a long and lonely suicide. Yeah, I'm trying to do everything that is happy, but it all turns to shit eventually. It's really good that I drank some before this fucking episode, guy. Because <laughs> seriously, it, but it's true. Because uh -huh. you're never gonna. Okay, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm talking to a director friend of mine, mm -hmm. and he realizes that every art that you create, you leave a piece of yourself with it. Oh yeah. And as and as that piece ends, you end. Mm. And as that piece goes away your part goes away and he's not wrong in mm. fact he's dead nuts right because if you put enough of yourself in a work it hurts and the day after it hurts so bad yeah and it does it always it, it, it doesn't always hurt sometimes it feels okay but there's always this little bit like the people will always be like well with great highs come great lows well that great low means something that means a part of you is going away a slow suicide means that you can't not keep being an artist. Ooh. That you are Ooh. slowly killing yourself Ooh. on purpose because you what? don't have anything else to do but that. Yeah. What's that line in Million Dollar Baby? Uh, uh, it's like every fighter's got a certain number of fights in him. I mean, you don't know what that number is. Right. You, nobody knows what that number is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Okay. That's... So I don't know if you know where I'm going now. I don't. I have no clue. Oh, but this is always a fun God. adventure, and I love this. I'm mm. glad you're excited, because I'm excited. Mm. I really am. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know now. <laughs> You've got this. Let's do this. Wilde began to pursue somewhat more hedonistic pleasures thereafter. You know, like you do. And while he did his best to keep his private tryst private, more and more damning evidence came to the fore. Remember, at this time in England... To be homosexual was a crime, punishable by imprisonment. Yep. But that didn't seem to stop Wilde. You see, Bosey, while being his one great love, was something of a gateway drug for Wilde. By 1892, Wilde had taken to the habit of leaving his estate for months at a time to live in lavish hotels throughout London and elsewhere. Under the guise of 
Finding places of solace in which to write plays, these hotel visits were actually so he could sexually explore without somebody looking over his shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. Not like, right, but like, that's completely <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, sure that's the unspoken code. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I completely understand that. In fact, I know what I mean is that's completely understandable. I understand how that works. I see why he went that way. I see how and why he went that way. Yep. Okay. Now, Bosey was in on this too. You see, it's quite well known that Bosey was somewhat promiscuous while at university, not just sleeping with fellow male students, but servants and just about any other young man he could get his hands on. Okay. It was in the latter half of 1892 that Bosey introduced Wilde to a number of, quote, rent boys, boys that could be rented, to explore his sexual passions. Wilde would often have all manner of young men in and out of his hotel rooms at night, much to the chagrin and complaints of hotel guests and managers. But even this didn't really break things open. Nobody called him onto the carpet? Ah, oh, poor, poor phrasing. Nobody, like, did <laughs> Nobody pointed him out at this, like, moment in time? They were like, yeah, they are making an awful lot of noise in there. My goodness, what a ruckus! <laughs> <laughs> now, one of these rent boys was a man named Alfred Wood. Wood convinced Bosey that he was down on his luck, and Bosey repaid him with an old suit that he didn't really need anymore. Bosey must have forgotten that he left a letter from Wilde in the lapel pocket of the jacket. Bosey! You <laughs> it can only be described as a love letter and contains some of the phrases that I shared earlier. Wood found this and shared it with the company manager who was rehearsing Wilde's A Woman of No Importance at the time. Wood. The company manager then tipped off Wilde that Wood had the letter. Wood's blackmail was complete when Wilde paid him 30 pounds for the original letter and his confidence that's just under $5,500 today. Oh, oh. And even this didn't break things open. There were quite a few other little scenes that could have been the final straw. Public scenes with Constance in the lobbies of hotels who may or may not have been privy to her husband's secret life. Like she, she actually was bringing him some of his mail to surprise him. And he was just escorting a young man out. And she's like, oh, Oscar shit. Oscar Wilde's going to have to lock this up. He can't keep doing mm, this like this. No. You're going to have to go underground for a little yeah. bit. He can't. No, because he's running too close to the... Unless, mm -hmm. listen, I'm much like Icarus, okay. yeah. man's flying too close to the sun. Hmm. Uh, there were even reports of maids complaining of... Uh, and, and here's the kind of X-rated part of the show. Maids complained of finding fecal stains on Wilde's bedding. Oh, shit. That's some Rod Sod era. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Okay. Hey. Here we go. But it all started to unravel due to Bosey's father. Bosey's father was John Sholto Douglas, the Marquis, and I'm, I think it's Marquis, could be Marquis, of Queensbury. And that title is a title of nobility, somewhere between Duke and Count. Right. So okay. he's up there halfway. Yeah. Yeah. Douglas is known to be a fairly irascible, arrogant, and belligerent man, which is appropriate as he is well known for establishing the Queensbury rules of amateur boxing, some of which still exist today. Things like the 10 count, the three minute round, and the standard size of a boxing ring. Okay. 
So, so he established go, those. He established yeah. those, and they're still in use today. That's cool. Okay. That's funny. I like that. Now, Douglas had three sons, Bozy being the youngest. By 1894, all of Douglas's sons were adults, and Douglas had failed a second marriage. Oh, God, you're going to love this. In the annulment paperwork, his wife included reasons like, quote, malformation of the parts of generation. <laughs> oh, and, sad. And frigidity and impotence. <laughs> well, and what are your reasons for requiring this annulment? Well, his pick is on Nobby. <laughs> he goes to the left. And when it stands up, it points at his forehead. <laughs> and it doesn't stand up as much as I would like. Wonder the man was a fighter. He had a natural <laughs> anger about him. God has cursed me with this odd-looking genitalia. <laughs> I it have is... nothing left to do but kill everyone around me. <laughs> and you're going to do it in my time frame, in the shape that I dictate, using the methods that I choose. And then I will murder you. Yep, with my fists. With my fists. And not my... Not my malfur-shaping member. It's like an eggplant. Anyway, in any case, and most likely on the heels of this embarrassing annulment, Douglas accused his oldest son of homosexuality. And this is not Bozy. I can't remember the guy's name. His middle son married the daughter of a clergyman. Douglas was a devout atheist. So middle son is out. Yeah. 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 You can't do that. No. And now for Bozy. Well, Douglas did not approve of any of the antics between Wilde and Bozy and demanded that his son stop all relationships with the playwright or face being disowned as well, basically stating that he was not specifically accusing Bozy of being homosexual, but it looked like it. In a letter he wrote to Bozy, Douglas stated, I make no charge, but in my mind, to pose as a thing is as bad as to be it. Huh. Shocking. But even that was poetic, let's be honest. Even mm -hmm. that was a pretty poetic statement. Here you go, here you go. In a telegram response to his father, Bozy replied, what a funny little man you are. <gasps> Big balls on Bozy. <laughs> <laughs> Bozy, what have you done? <laughs> Douglas then took to threatening violence upon the owners and managers of restaurants and hotels if they would allow the business of Wild and Bozy. Shocked face. <laughs> God. Whoa. Guy's got a weird dick and he's angry. Huh. That's weird. That's crazy. I have five dollars that said that if he lived now today, he would drive a lifted Dodge Ram and be a very loud, have a very loud exhaust. And have maybe flags coming out the back of the some the, some sort of flag. Yeah. I'm just saying right. go the flags. Some flag. <laughs> In June 1894, Douglas actually went to Wilde's home, a time when he was actually living there, and brought a prize fighter with him. Ooh, a double team. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Wilde demanded that Douglas leave his property, and while the two argued loudly over the state of the relationship, Wilde was heard to say, I do not know what the Queensbury rules are, but the Oscar Wilde rule is to shoot on sight. That's a Wyoming rule right there. Ooh-wee. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, I think that's great because at least Oscar Wilde didn't back down. Yeah, yeah. So things were getting tense. Yes. Douglas kept writing to Bozy. By this time, he'd already cut off all financial support. 
But that was no big deal. I suppose he pretty much had a sugar daddy. Did I miss something here? Why did Douglas need Bosey? Like, why? Well, he needed an heir, frankly, right? It's like you're passing on your lineage. He had a title of nobility. He couldn't just let it die. Okay, all right. So because Bosey wasn't procreating with the woman, mm -hmm. do you think he'd be okay with it if Bosey had a kid, preferably a man? For our, for our listeners, that's because women can't mm -hmm. hold, like, title. Right? Are, are, are we suggesting prima nocta here or something like that? Yeah, well, <laughs> that was about 600 years after the fact, but yeah, I mean, you know, you could. Well, theoretically. Bozy, you can see wild, but where is Virginia tonight? <laughs> Jesus. What about, no. like, uh, uh, anyways, you keep going. It's fan this is fantastic. In his letters, Douglas called his son a reptile and claimed Ooh. that he never acknowledged him as a son anyway. Oh, he's just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, he's being a, just like- yeah, he's, <laughs> No, no, he's, he's, he's like, he's throwing haymakers. He's yep. just, he's yep. hoping he hits. He's oh, hoping he oh, hits. Oh, yeah, and Bozy is absolutely doing some rope-a-dope here. Yeah, yeah. Mm, he, yeah. He replied in a letter back, basically stating that all the stuff that Douglas had written in letters already could get Douglas years of imprisonment if Wilde ever wanted to press charges. For defamation? Yep. Defamation of character? Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is where I will end this part of this episode. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> that is where we will have to come back and try this again next time. So, friends and listeners, I am Aaron Odom, and we will be back with the rest of this story in another two weeks. Dustin, sorry to get your hopes up there. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm stunned. No, I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm gonna have to leave my computer alone for a while because I'm just gonna have to start Googling everything. <laughs> no, no, that's not no, fair. I'm, no, that's no, not no, fair. I'm going in blind. No, no, no. Cool. I'm going into this blind. I know the rules. All right. I play cool. the game, okay? Cool. And I'm just excited cool. to learn more because okay. I just... I wish someone would write to me like Oscar Wilde writes to <laughs> Well, for that, my friends and listeners, this is another episode of Euripides Humanities. We'll be back in two weeks with the conclusion of this story, and I will see you at intermission. <laughs>